When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Ruck Podcast. I'm here with Sam Warburton for the second time in the Ruck series on the eve of the Wales-England game. Sam, you had a great career uh, with Wales and the Lions, but... To be in the media now covering this game, surely this tops everything. It's the most excited I've been <laughs> for a game. And when you're a player, you don't allow yourself to get immersed in the occasion. You you know it's there and you appreciate it. But you, you and like both players are away in their respective camps in the week. Wales, you might you, you will go home on a thir- Tuesday night, have Wednesday at home, come back on Thursday. So you have that sort of thirty six hour period where. You are exposed a little bit to the outside world, which can be bonkers on a Wednesday on a home game for Wales, England. So my wife will go out and do the food shopping. I'll deliberately walk the dog somewhere very quiet so I don't have to speak to anyone. You just want to try and hide away from it. You don't meet the press, you know. You do a press conference and somebody will ask you, oh, Sam, what's your take on the comments of, I'm just making this up, say on the selection between you and Justin Tipperick? And I'll generally be like, sorry, I I don't know. Yeah. You have to let me know what you're talking about because I've st- I do do everything to keep away from it and try and remain composed throughout the week because you just got to focus so much on the tactics and like people want to ask players what's it like pre-match when you play England. I think the fans want you to be like, oh, it's so. Uh, not all the fans, some a lot of the Welsh fans, which let's be honest, are, are very anti-English. Uh, you know, mm. when it comes to these games, <laughs> and um, they want you to be like, oh yeah, you talk about you know the hundreds and hundreds of years ago when they came over and took all our houses and they killed us it's like oh my goodness that like they got we got a dartboard of Owen Farrell and we're all throwing things at it like like that doesn't sorry but that doesn't happen um it's not like that is there's too much tactical information to take on board to allow yourself to get immersed in all that emotional personal stuff which you just haven't got space for but it is, it's amazing. Like, of all the games I've played in, it's been always been a privilege to be at home. It's the biggest game in two years for Wales, excluding World Cups. Yeah. It's the biggest game every 24 months because, you know, there's not a person in Wales that wouldn't even, maybe, maybe not watch the game, but that won't be aware that the game is on. You know, yeah. it's just enormous. Do you know what your record is against England personally? I know I've won four times. You, I'm guessing you, I've won four, lost five, maybe. Lost six. We, 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 I think I reckon it's four and six, which is four and six. I can't even recite because... them now. So I remember, yeah, my first game. I would have played 2010 and lost because we lost quite a bit in the early days. 2010, we would have lost. 2011, Six Nations, we lost. Uh, and then we were lost again in 2011 pre-World Cup so we had a pretty poor run when I first mm. came in then we did beat them pre-World Cup for a game then we beat them in 20, 2012 
Then we beat them in 2013. So we had a good run for like three years against them. So that's yeah. three apiece. 2014, we would have lost in the Six Nations. 2015, we would have won. 16, 17, lost. Yeah, 6-4. Yeah. Oh, six, yeah, 6-4 six, six, in favour to England. The, the 2013 game at Cardiff, would that be one of your best memories in the Welsh jersey against England or anyone? Because that was a day when they were favourites, but actually Wales did a spectacular job on them. Single best memory that I've played in, from a team perspective, um, including the Lions and, and World Cup wins. And it wasn't because it was England, it was just because we were written off. Before that, we lost seven games in a row. We lost three tests to Australia in the 2012 Summer Series. We lost four Autumn Internationals. We dropped out of the top eight in the ranking. And that's when they did the World Cup draw. Mm. So we, we were going as like a sort of like a third tier, if you make if that makes sense, nation, which is why we drew England in the World Cup along with Australia. So it was the only time in my career we dropped out of that top eight. So like things were going really bad from a Welsh perspective. And bear in mind, we won the Grand Slam like 10 months before. So we just mm. went from the World Cup semi to Grand Slam, from being riding the crest of a wave to then suddenly being like rock bottom, really. And then we lost the first game against Ireland. So I took it to eight games in a row. So suddenly we were in a really bad place. And I remember Sonia McLaughlin interviewed me and said, nobody's won the Six Nations after losing the first game for, I can't remember exactly, but it was 20 mm. odd years. And uh, but that didn't phase me. I just remember thinking, well, records are there to be broken. I didn't say that. I said, probably just said a normal diplomatic answer. But in my head <laughs> I thought, well, it means so someone has done it then. Yeah. You know? So it means you can, you can do it then. Yeah. So that's why that tournament was amazing because we just came back from not just the first game, it was from the, the previous six to eight months to come all the way back and win in such emphatic style as well. Um, completely against the run of play and what everyone was predicting. Uh, no one would have predicted that, you know. So uh, that was why it was so unexpected. But as a team, we just stayed tight for two months and came out on top, which is why it was so special. But you mentioned um, that the, the England game is, 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 is such a huge thing. And then, as you rightly say, we've we, we got all the grudges of history in terms of Wales and the, people are looking back decades and centuries and all that more recently it's uh, the, the big rivalry was I mean when I was young it was that Wales was seen as a sort of classless team working class people whereas England we all everyone thought they had huge cars and they had champagne and they're all from Oxbridge and the services obviously that's slightly gone as well now but what what's the basis of, of the rivalry now because it's still as sharp <clears throat> as ever but it, history's changed yeah, I remember asking the England boys this when you're away on like Lions tours. You just or you just chat to them anyway. When you you cross paths, various doing various sponsorship things anyway in the season or at games even. And uh, I was like, "What's your biggest game of the Six Nations?" And they know they're all like Wales is obviously massive. Yeah. And uh, I can't remember who I was chatting to. Maybe it was it was Faz or someone. He was like, "Mate, everyone hates us. Like it's <laughs> like every game for them is massive." He's like, and I do feel for the like England naturally being England because as a country they have the most influence, the most power, the most wealth biggest population you know going back in history like it, it is a little bit of I think every country they, they just don't want to be have that inferiority to what is perceived as a, as a superior nation from across the world you know so I think that's where it comes from but I remember playing Wales in the 16s and we were playing England and the bit the working class thing from a Welsh perspective does come into it I think mm. and the public school boy from, from England because I remember like a lot of the Welsh boys would be like right let's get stuck into these public school boys like mm. they're all guys who've come from normal working backgrounds terrace houses families who aren't affluent and we're playing against a bunch of public school boys like, that was a big motivation when you're a school boy coming through the ranks like you're playing against these kids who've got a private school and you hear they're paying 
10, 20, 30 grand a year to go to school. It's like flipping neck. That's the price of some of these boys' houses. You know, it's like it's that. So that is a motivating factor when you're a kid. So that does carry through a little bit. Um, yeah. But I think it's just the, I think you know how much it means to the country to, to yeah. beat England. And honestly, when you beat England, the day after, I walk the dog and cars are beeping. They're punching their arms out the air and you just you just think oh my goodness I have you have no idea yeah. how many people you're making happy when you beat England you know and I think you have that's the pressure that players carry into the game and sure. at the same time when you lose oh you don't you've let, the whole, country <laughs> you let the whole country down yeah. so I think you do really feel you're representing the people when you're playing England you, you've um um, you see, when you you're talking about when you're a teenager, you, you come across these ignorant guys. But since then, you've come across a lot of them, really up close on, as you see on the lines, to on your on your own team. Um, did did most of them sort of when you get to know them? Are they basically decent rugby people like everybody else? For rugby environments across the whole of the world, like you're right, are fundamentally the same. So when you meet the England boys, maybe on my first line store, you do think, oh, I wonder if they're going to be any different. But like everyone gets on so well, I think they're they're obviously clever in their selection of the Lions tours because they always make sure they pick good people as well as good players. Yeah. But I'll be honest, like it upsets people when I'm doing Q and A's in Wales and they want they go, oh, who's the who's the who's biggest the real idiot? Bastard who's the, the biggest idiot? Are the England boys idiots? And I'm like, you know what? They're all really good guys. Like I really liked all of them. I can honestly say that, and I probably got on with the English lads better than a lot of the other nations. Yeah. You know, so. Uh, no, so I unfortunately um, I can't add fuel to the fire for the sure. Welsh people. I, I actually got on with the England boys really well, and I got a lot of respect for all of them. People like uh, their leaders, some like Farrell, who you know he wouldn't come across well because to a Welsh team because a guy like that you you always hate him if he's in the other team, but you love him if he's in your team. Is it is he what he appears in terms of? Ultra competitive and great team man. Oh, I can't speak high enough of Owen Farrell. I have done in the past, and uh, people say that uh, they like say like if you're a Welshman or if you're Irish or Scottish, they'd be like, oh, I hate, we hate, we hate Owen Farrell. It's a massive compliment to him because if Owen Farrell, like randomly went into like say the guy who said that went into his workplace or something, saw him in the street, said, oh, you know what, mate, are you a rugby fan? I- I'd love to do a-, a club presentation for you for where- whichever club team your boy plays for. Can I come and do a presentation? Yeah. I'm pretty sure that that bloke would suddenly completely change and be like, oh my God, amazing, please come in and do our club. And they'd be, suddenly be their biggest fan. Yeah. It's just a compliment because you, he's such a good player and the influence he has on your team, which is obviously a good influence on your team, you just, you just, you just, you just naturally in sport, you just, don't, you just resent them because you're sure. just envious of their ability. And yeah, as a leader and as a player, like for me, like Owen Farrell at some point has got to win World Player of the Year. It's just the influence he has on the England team is massive, you know, on and off the field. And, I, agree. Um, yeah. I, I think he probably doesn't even realise the influence he has. But now, like I've stepped outside, you know, I've played with him, and now I can see it from the other side of the fence. It's, it's, his influence is enormous, you know, and um, he's going to be. I don't mean to to put too much pressure on him, but like you look back at the 2003 squad. I mean, they had so many iconic players back then. But you look, the obvious names just fly out. Uh, Martin Johnson, Johnny Wilkinson, Lawrence Delalio and those boys. You know, this era now, Owen Farrell is that iconic English player of this yeah. generation and, and will be remembered as a great, even if he finished tomorrow. So, um, yeah, he, he's been fantastic serving for England already. Before we go on to um, the te- the Welsh team, there's a big... Um, I'm reading the papers today that there's no drink zones in the stadium where, you know, you, you, you can't have a drink. So if you want to just watch the rugby presumably go to one of these places if you just want to have a party now there's no harm in having a party people pay good money they can do what they want but is it an issue in terms of the team 
because we're now in the era of like mobile phones. Everyone wants to show all their friends where they are. Yeah. Everyone wants to have a drink. People are getting up, getting sitting down, coming back with a big tray. Is that does that distract it a little bit from the atmosphere? It's a tough one because I have and I have spoken to a lot of fans. You know, now I guess I'm bit more accessible to, to fans now so I'm at more sort of public events and things and so many of them say how the drinking thing really winds them up and because they're quite wide blocks in Principality because, Stadium yeah. people are standing up every five minutes they say so I can understand that frustration but when you're on the team bus and you're coming down Westgate Street and like if you go if you're playing in like Murrayfield it's civilised in Ireland in England you go to Twickenham it's very civilised you know they're all having their hampers but then you go to Wales and it's just people with short tops on um, they got leak hats on they've got pints spilling everywhere they're going nuts as you're driving down like part of me loves that <laughs> like yeah, I love yeah, yeah, yeah. it's very Welsh you know yeah. like everybody comes to town and they're going to get steaming like that is that's it and um, it's in the heart of the city and so yeah I think it is great like you know we have 20-30,000 fans maximum watching our regions a week yeah. maximum but we go to the stadium and send in the 75,000. So I do think as a player, it's amazing to have, because Wales, people just support the brand of Welsh rugby. They don't necessarily, I think there's probably 30,000, 40,000 fans in there who would never go to a regional game. Mm-hmm. But it's great that we have all these people jump on the international bandwagon and support the team. And they probably wouldn't be able to name, there's probably 30,000 people there who probably wouldn't be able to name the starting 15. But they go there because they want to support Wales, they're, they're supporting their country. And rugby is probably the biggest vehicle to do that in this yeah, country. Sure, and, sure. I, and I love the fact that they do get a bit merry and make a lot of noise. So it's that balance. You do want to still keep it a little bit like, you know, the French crowds are the most hostile when, when the French are playing well. But I think Welsh is quite close in the sense of the atmosphere and the noise. And that's one mm. thing that I am very proud of as a Welshman. You know, anyone who goes to the stadium loves the atmosphere. So, yeah, yeah it's good to have zones, but I do think... We still need to like it, still drink, need to go a bit mad. Still need to go a bit mad, and there's a big drinking culture in rugby in Wales anyway, and that's never going to go. So yeah, I don't sure. think you should completely ban that. Just one thing this struck me there. Um, you, you mentioned the, the the regions. Um, it's nice to come into uh, go into the national squad with with four or five wins behind you, I mean, which someone like say Saracens or or Leinster would have. The Welsh team don't actually have that. I mean, the, all the regions lost on on Sunday, and did you find it difficult when? Cardiff, for instance, have not had not had a great run because you're coming off the back of three or four defeats, and that would the same would apply to this Welsh team this season because none of the none of the guys none of the teams are playing really well. Yeah. Or could you divorce it? Yeah, no, it's a good question. It, it never actually played a part um, because you straight away you, you kind of see it as two different entities for me because the regions during my whole career really weren't. We had some success, but yeah. nothing compared to like Leinster or Saracens. So I was quite used to going into campaign off the back of a bad run. But when you go into the Welsh camp, you just naturally just pick off. You pick up from where you left off in the previous campaign, which normally you're in a pretty good place. Not always. So you, you just mm. carried on from the, the Welsh national team momentum and just felt like that you put the regions to one side and you just pick back up where you left off with the international team. So... That never actually um, never affected me. The, the morale was obviously better coming into camp when everyone won. But it's, it, you kind of like leave the regions and, and those egos at the door when you go into the Welsh team. Sure. It's the same with the Lions, you know. Like people say, what's it like with the Lions? Is there banter with, it must be so difficult playing against those lads that you play against. So I'm like, well, not really, because you only play against them once a year on the big stage in the Six Nations. Whereas for Wales, we all play against the, the, the other three regions multiple times throughout the year, knocking 
knocking you know lumps out of each other over Christmas than we go in together in the Six Nations. So it's the same principle, sure. just on a bigger scale. You, so, could, you could divorce it. Yeah, sort of you could divorce it. So I've never thought the the regions not performing going to campaign has been an issue. Um, just to, going on to the, the the actual teams playing on Saturday, as we speak, we're not sure what they'll be, but we do know that England, on the evidence of the, of the game against Ireland and France. It's it's no uh, absolutely no revelation to say they're going to, they've got, they're a very very powerful team, powerful carriers. Billy Van der Poel, Courtney Laws, um, could be Maro Itoji, could we don't know yet. Could could come back, uh, Manu Tuolagi, etc. Um, how do you counter that in terms of sheer power? I mean, is, is, is it the only way you can count, you can counter it? Is is sheer power in defence and sheer power in the tackle? The only time it hasn't been that normally you do have to match fire with fire. Um, there's only one way around it. The only time we didn't we did something completely different, and it kind of did revolutionise the defensive system a bit for a few years. Was we were playing Ireland in the quarter final, and this is where Dan Lydiot really came into his own. Mm. I remember Sean Edwards saying they had Stephen Ferris, Jamie Heaslip, Sean O'Brien, and they had some really big carriers in their team like Keen Healy, those boys. And they said right every single tackle this week, which is quite it was very unconventional. So I just like we're going to just chop tackle them, everything mm. round the round the legs. Like, don't go high on any player all game. And we literally went completely low. Now I don't think, and it, but it worked. You know, we won that game. Ireland. I think Sean O'Brien made a total um, out of all his carries. He made two meters all game because like, mm. we just went in with this effective game plan. I don't think that you can do that against England. Like, that, I don't think that'll happen. I don't think they'll say something that drastic. So I think on this occasion, you do need to match fire with fire. You have got to defend against England with so much venom and and you've got to be aggressive, you've got to be violent, or legally, these sound mm. like nasty words, but rugby at its heart is that, it is confrontational and you have to do that for the first three, four phases of defence. I think on this occasion, I think that's what Sean will be getting the boys to do. It's just, and Wales haven't hit those physical peaks yet that they reached when they played Australia, when they played South Africa in the autumn, but it's there, like they can do it, it is there. So uh, England, I'm pretty sure, will probably continue with the momentum they've created over the past two weekends. But Wales do physically, and they know that. I'm not saying anything they don't know. They know they have to come up a level physically to, to be able to get a, a result on Saturday for sure. You wrote in the Sunday Times last week, or last Sunday, that you made certain sele- selections which seem to me based a little bit on physicality, such as Dan Bigger, we'll come back to the fly-off in a minute, and Gareth Davis, Jake Ball... These are guys, uh, I, I'm not saying you, you rubbished anybody else, but was that countering fire with fire, the likes of Jake Ball and Gareth Davis? Do you know what? I, I admit I'm wrong now. So I've, <laughs> when, I was in it, when I did that column, on a spectrum, if I had England at one end and Wales on the other end, after the first two weekends, I thought 100% England are going to win against Wales. And as the week has gone by now and a couple of weeks are passing, on the spectrum now, I'm slowly sliding towards Wales. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm being a hypocrite because when I was in the 2015 World Cup, I remember I was on the physio bed and Martin Williams uh, texted me good luck. I remember texting back, oh, thanks very much, we're going to win by, like I said, like a score prediction. I said, we'll, we'll definitely win, mate. And then I remember the, the, the girl who was giving me um, soft tissue treatment at the time, she's like, why, why are you so confident? I was like, because England have picked a team to play Wales. They haven't picked a team to be England. Yeah. They, they picked the team to counter us, you know. You, you've got to be true to yourself and play the best version of rugby you can play. So I picked a team in my last column, a little bit concerned about the English physicality, which is why I went with Bigger at 10. But then, like, as I've been thinking about it, I thought, no, actually, Wales have got to stay true to their game plan, stay true to themselves and play the style of rugby they've been trying to nurture and develop. 
So actually, they should probably stick with Anscom, who is emerged as their number one ten. And when I watched the game again against Italy, he came on and got the team moving again. That's what I think actually Wales need to do against England. I think they need to try and play outside of their, you know, off off the ruck. They got a very aggressive five six man blitz where the forwards are, and they're punishing teams at the moment with it because teams are running straight into it with not much sort of deception in their attacking play. I actually think you need Anscombe. You need a bit more deception. Perhaps go wider a bit early on. This this thing about you or oh, you must go tight before you go wide is rubbish. You, you can expose teams wide straight away if you if you can get there effectively. So I think Wales actually need to stay true to their selection policy, which they've done mm-hmm. over the past sort of six months. I would actually, I, I admit, I'm probably a bit wrong actually. Even though I think Bigger has got fantastic qualities and is the sort of player who would relish this occasion. I would actually stick with Anscombe. I would go with Jake Ball, though, in, in the second row, because you do need that, that physicality and you need some hitters there. I always say this mm. in international rugby, you need two or three hitters in your team, you know, big hitters and carry, carrying in attack and defence. But my 10 section, I would actually change my mind and, and go back to Anscombe. OK, don't worry. In the media, you can change your mind every five minutes. <laughs> we want you. Everybody else does. <laughs> yeah, that, that, in, in that way, you can never be wrong. OK. You, you're talking about playing the Welsh game. Uh, where can Wales hurt England on Saturday? We know where they can uh, England can hurt Wales, but where can Wales hurt England? I think, I mean, so people are talking a lot about England's physicality, which is pretty obvious, and they're talking about their their kicking game. But then I'm watching the kicking game. I don't think the English coaches, uh, Wales coaches, will worry too much about it. They might expose us with a good kicking game, but I was looking at where the fullbacks have been positionally against France. I mean, they were. I don't know who was coaching the back three. I'm not even a back three player, and I couldn't believe how bad they were in the backfield. Um, the full back was all over the shop. I know Hugh to be in his defence as a winger, but those those kicks through wouldn't have the success against Wales that they had against France. They just won't, because the full back will be there. If England do pick out, they do a play where they can tie in the Welsh back three, and then they expose us, then, then well done. You know, that's tactically very good of them. But I, don't, I think two of those tries that happened on the weekend would never happen against Wales. So I don't think the coaches will worry too much about that. You can fix that. Mm. I think Wales would, would hurt England, and teams have done it a bit, but not in massive success, is, yeah, you've got to be physical. That's always the game of rugby. But I thought this was the same when we played South Africa in the autumn. I actually said pre-match, I was working for BBC, I think Wales actually need to play outside South Africa's defence quite early and take a few risks. I think that's what we've got to do this weekend. I think you've got to throw a different picture at England. Sometimes you've got to fight fire with fire, and that will happen. Mm. But I think we've got to throw a different picture at England and actually just get them uncomfortable playing at our home stadium and go wide early, try and expose Johnny May, try and put him under pressure as a key player and as a as a key guy for England. You, I, I, I go a little. I'd probably be quite surprised and, and try and go wide a little bit early. And there's times you've got to go narrow, of course, but. Got to throw a different picture in England and put them, make them uncomfortable, and that's why I think Anscombe would be a good selection. It's Warren's last Six Nations, which is very sort of emotional, and people like yourself have been with him all all the time. Um, could we bank on um, Warren and Sean together every now and again against the odds? They can uh, work miracles. Do, do you think it's highly likely that Warren's got something up his sleeve? Whether it's going wide early. Uh, but would you back him to come up with something? I think what they'll do this weekend, people probably say, well, why don't they do this every weekend? But like naturally all the ingredients aren't there to do yeah. this. But on a game of this magnitude, I think their biggest challenge is getting the players just purely in the right frame of mind. 
and people say, well, they should be in the right frame of mind every week. But like, for whatever reason, that doesn't happen. No, it like, doesn't. It doesn't yeah. happen. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, everybody would be playing the best rugby of their life every week of the year, of their career. So if they can get Wales, like England were at that physical, emotional peak against Ireland. Like, you can see it the way like you know, Tom Curry was sent simbined after 10 minutes. They've been told to go out there and just punish the Irish physically. I think Wales will probably have a similar message and try and do that to England, mm. you know, in in defence. I think, but in particular, so Wales got to those levels against Australia, South Africa. They conceded one try in two games, haven't been as convincing in the last two games, but it's there. Like you know, it's there. And so I think all the coaches got to do is just try and get that out of the players. You know, so they'll probably use their experience. They're not going to be barking at the players on a Monday, Tuesday, getting them emotionally peaking then. They'll just slowly build the week nicely from Monday through to Friday. And then by the time you finish your team run Friday, mm. the players will get in, they'll be on the stadium, on the pitch. You get in your huddle, it's the last time you sort of speak to the players before the match day, really. And I think you just got to get them just... In that, at that point in time, you've got to be so confident you're going to deliver and you do everything the week right that you can actually enjoy the next 24 hours. And all you're doing, you're literally just watching your watch and just waiting for kickoff because you just want to get out there and punish them. So you've got to get them in that frame of mind by Friday. So they've got time to do that. But I think they'll use their experience to, to drag that out of the players. How, how do you get people in frame of mind? In the old days, you used to bang on, the, you know, bang heads together, etc. What would Warren be fairly quiet? Quiet but forceful? That's what he's, yeah, that's his style. He is yeah. quite but forceful. And like when he did the, the Scotland interview last year, Wales played Scotland at home and they, they had a very convincing win first up, which nobody saw. People mm. thought this was the year Scotland were going to travel away from home and put a real performance in against Wales and win. And Gatland did his BBC post-match. And I, it didn't surprise me, but I laughed at the same time because he probably hasn't been this brutally honest. But he said, yeah, no, I told the players that we'd battered them. And uh, <laughs> which came across really disrespectful to Scotland, but that's what he says in team meetings. And if he says we're going to batter them, and he'll list the reasons why, and he'll maybe he'll go through the pack weight, he'll go through the the, the, the individual players that we've got and what they've done and how many big games they've played in and how many times they've delivered. Sometimes you sit there and you think, yeah, no, we will, and you yeah. genuinely believe him. And I think that's what he's got from the players. The hardest thing for a coach to get, I think any international player would agree or any coach at professional level, the hardest thing you, you have to do is get buy-in from the players. And Warren's got that in abundance from the squad that he's got. So if he can get complete buy-in and get them all to, to believe and trust in him for these big games, which they will, then um, then it goes a long way towards winning. Don't get me wrong, England can come up with some sort of masterstroke tactical decision which can separate the teams. Often games like this, it is one moment which separate teams. And so many times I've heard like Warren say in a meeting, England-Wales now, there's nothing to pick between them really. There's, there's hardly anything to pick between England-Wales. Even Ireland and like all these top teams, there's not much to pick. It often takes like one moment of brilliance or X-factor from a mm. player. So in England's example, it could be Owen Farrell or Johnny May or from Wales, it could be not, not necessarily like a, a half a metre try. It could mm. be a massive turnover or it could be a really big hit when you've been defending your try line for 10 minutes or it could be an amazing release of pressure from winning a penalty from a scrum you know you need some one you need one of your big experienced players and we'll see it on Saturday someone's going to step up for a big moment from either team and it could be the one that separates these two sides so you're looking for a big moment from a key experienced player like that as well finally on on the game you've made a big thing of um you think Wales have got to be really ultra ultra competitive with the breakdown uh, have they got the players in uh, in, in Josh Navidi and and, and Tipperick and maybe one or two of the backs to, to, to cause England serious problems there? And do you think that's one of the keys? That's why I think England haven't been challenged as much lately as they will do against Wales, is um, the, the breakdown threat. 
So which is why I think Wales. That's why I went with the Nicky Smith selection in my in my Sunday Times column that Lou said. And then on Rob Evans on the bench. I mean, you, another game I start Rob Evans, but for mm. this game tactically, I would go with Nicky Smith. I I just really try and make that ruck and breakdown really uncomfortable for England and make it like make it a complete mess. Like you know, when I used to compete at breakdowns. You're not always going to get turnovers, but I think right when I go into this and compete, I'm gonna I'm gonna be violent when I'm in there. I'm gonna be a right nuisance. I'm gonna be dragging players out with me. I'm gonna be like kicking the ball. I'm gonna be just making a mess of it. Just put and putting their nine under a massive amount of pressure. You know, Ben Youngs when it comes to box kicking and counter rucking. I I think Nicky Smith brings that. Josh Navidi brings that. Justin Tibbet brings that. Alan Wynn, Jake Ball is a big counter ruck threat. That's why I went with those boys because I just think. You know, England are kicking a lot of ball, which means mm. you've got to disrupt them at source, and you've got mm. to, you've got to affect their ruck and their, their speed of ball. And like that's why I pick players like that. So um, yeah, I, I have a really big focus on getting on that ball. It might be Jacqueline, it might be more turnovers. Wales are really good at probably. I, I like to see statistically actually mm. who's one of the most more turnovers in Six Nations. I think it's probably Wales, and what I've seen, I might be wrong, but they're very good at that. Um, and then like like rips. So like the backs are really good at doing rips where. Mm like a, a carrier might go in too high and you just sort of like this, we just call it like like a chainsaw like when you're starting a chainsaw you just you put your arm in and you just rip your arm out you don't really you're not going for the tackle you're just going for the ball and the Welsh backs are very good at that you know if they can be effective at those aspects of the game as well it's only one little nugget of it but I think that could be a bit uh, could really help them to get a result as well I'm not asking you for a news story here. I'm just asking you what your thoughts are. Um, Warren's coming to the end of his Welsh career. I could name teams like France, Ireland, uh, 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 urgently looking for a new head man, new head coach. Do you expect to see Warren departing for New Zealand at the end of this season? I, I don't see many coaches going to France purely because they don't give the coaches the control that they need. Mm. If you went to France, you need to change so much. You need to change your whole backroom staff. You need to change your selection policy, even the way things are probably running in the league. I think it's such a big job to do there at France. It would be a brave decision. I'd love to actually see a coach go there, someone mm. like of, of Gatlin's ilk go to France, see what they could do. But I'm not sure the French Federation, from what I've heard and chatting to... I was chatting to Philippe Saint-André uh, recently and I was asking him, I was like, I actually really want to know what's going on like in France. Like, what yeah, what do yeah. you think is going wrong? Yeah. And he said those reasons. He's like, it's yeah. just the coaches are not getting the control they need. And, if they, and perhaps if they are, they're not doing the right job. And like, there's coaches and players gone over to France and I don't want to talk ill of France, but they're, they're miles behind. Yeah. They're miles behind Ireland, England and Wales and Scotland from an organisational point of view. They got great money, they got great facilities, and they got great players, but I don't think they're being coached properly, and I don't think the the infrastructure in the clubs and the federation is what it needs to be to be competitive. And you can see that, like it's not just a two year off period they're having; they, they've been off now for quite a while. Like, yeah, since 2011, really, they've been off. And um, 
But do, do you only think that when when it comes to you and everybody else in the world, including Frenchmen, including the French players, have been really aghast to what, what they were like at Twickenham. Surely you couldn't have too many of those before you say, hey, we have got to change everything, like, as you said. It's, it's got to happen. There's got to be a change somewhere down the line in France. It's got to be a it's got to be a moment where the penny drops and they suddenly think, right, and they've always had... I'm not saying French coaches aren't the answer. I guess... I, I'm not going to say names, but I've done. I've been speaking to players who have gone to France, and these are top international players, and uh, you know, and I mean top top internationals. And they said they've been in a change room before a game. They've linked arms in a circle, and they're all counting to do sit-ups from one to ten in French, uh, like to wind themselves up. And I'm just thinking, <laughs> this is, and I'm talking now teams who are trying to compete at Champions Cup rugby. This is berserk, like how old-fashioned and old-school. The thought processes and like it's not that that's just one little example, but it's the same when it comes to all aspects of play. I'm just like, there's miles behind. There's only talent that you can buy for your team like Toulon can only take you so far. Yeah. And you question like now the organisation of Johnny Wilkinson has gone. Maybe that's why they're falling apart a bit because they got no one who's actually organising the game plan anymore, which they need. So maybe I'm not sure the French coaches are a little bit old fashioned and they're yeah. not suited yeah. to the modern day game. And and they think that banging the chest and and headbutton props in in changes before the game is going to work. It doesn't work these days, you know. And that's why I think they're fundamentally wrong. But uh, sorry, to go back to your question about Gatland. I do expect him to probably go back home and probably enjoy some family time and enjoy yeah. a bit of a break because you know he's he's got his daughter Gabby, his son Bryn, who's doing really well playing Super Rugby now. And you know while he's been over here, I remember Bryn being. A young boy who was yeah. come over to watch us train, and he'd be kicking with Lee Halfpenny afterwards. And he yeah. was like, you know, ten years of age, 11, 12 years of age, and we thought oh, this is great for him to kick with like Lee Halfpenny. Next, thing you know, I'm lining against him for the Lions yes. for the provincial yeah, barbarians. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. meanwhile, Gatlin's like missed a lot of that because he's been over here. So I think he probably will enjoy some family time in New Zealand, some time to reflect on his career, and he'll be back in the coaching game for sure. But mm. um, yeah, I expect it to be back in in New Zealand or who knows, maybe the British and Irish Lions. He should do, in my opinion, should because the Lions is now a totally different coaching job to anything else. You can't you can't go away and prepare for hours hours and weeks and weeks and weeks. You've got to you've got one one evening to do it. Haven't you? That's yeah. all. I think the, you know the Lions. There's been a bit of change, you know, in the, in the hierarchy. You know, John Fian's left and they've got a new CEO, and um, I'm sure they do a fantastic job. But you can't have too much change, you know, in any high performing environment. So I'm pretty mm. sure that there's probably a a spine of coaches, you know, which they're going to look at and think, right, we need these guys for the yeah. next tour because if there's too much change and yeah, you've, yeah. brand new coaching staff in South Africa, who will be good come next Lions tour, they'll yeah. be good at this World Cup, you know, they'll be good. It, it could be a recipe for disaster. So I think they're probably desperate to have someone like Gatland and Andy Farrell to stay on board for the next tour as well. Actually, two more questions about Six Nations. First of all, when you played Italy with Wales, it was just any other game, you, you, you know, you had to beat them, you didn't want to lose them because that, that would have been the disaster. Now you've retired and you've taken a step back. Should we be worried about Italy? Because they're actually really at the moment, they were competitive against Wales when it wasn't a full Welsh side, but you really struggled to think where they're going to win this year, where their next win is going to come from. No one's been critical of them, but that you do suddenly start to feel worried about them now. There's no progression. There's no progression. And yet if Italy play, maybe played Italy 10 years ago, well, yeah, they probably are better than they were 10 years ago. But so are Wales, so are England, so are mm. Ireland, so are Scotland. So, well, not France, <laughs> not France, but the four home nations. Every year the stat, the bar goes up. So, yeah, I'm sure the bar in Italy is going up. I'm sure they look at their fitness statistics and 
yeah, their players are fitter and they're better athletes than they were five years ago, but so is everyone else. Mm. They've got to have a drastic jump and I don't think they've got the player pool. I'm not saying it's a coaching thing. I'm sure that the coaches, they're coaching them the same things that they'd be coaching other international teams, but I just don't think they've got the resources from a player perspective. You know, They just don't have the resources. And two more things, finally. The Six Nations itself, you're so engrossed in it as a, as a captain of any country, especially Wales, but... Now you again. Now you've taken a step back. Have you realised what an unbelievable, the fantastic thing it is? I was in Twickenham for the England France game, and I was just watching it from afar in the stands. And the teams came out, and even though it wasn't Wales playing, I I looked at Guillaume Garrado, who was the French captain. I thought that's been me on four occasions at Twickenham, but like you don't realise that you see all that you see this massive stadium of people cheering, going nuts, and you obviously you know you're running out in front of 80,000 people but then and then the guy who was sat next to me he just said how do you feel watching this now he said that was you wasn't it I said mate I was just thinking the same thing I actually can't believe I've, I went through this like four or five times because I played there in the World Cups as well against Australia yeah. and stuff and I was actually just staring at the pitch thinking I used to do that like I can't believe I used to put myself through this you know and and now, I, now I'm on the other side of the fence and Martin Williams said the same thing because when you're in the changing room, you don't see the flames. You don't see yeah. the the crowd getting excited five minutes before kick off. You don't see you're in the you're in the dungeon of the of Principality Stadium or Twickenham. No natural light. You can't hear anything. And suddenly you're just exposed to it. You don't see all the hype. You don't read the press in the week. You don't get excited about the match. You keep it calm. Now I can do that. Like I enjoy the tournament a lot more now as a yeah. fan and appreciate it a lot more. And now I do look back and think, oh my goodness, I went through that. It's amazing, you know. So. Yeah, you try and dampen everything down as a player. Yeah. Um, you don't want to make too big a thing of it. But now I can really enjoy the Six Nations for what it is. You, you've given a real uh, brilliant insight into the two teams, characters, tactics, you know, the whole thing. But now at the end, we're going to have to ask you a very difficult question. And, um, I'm going to run out of battery quick. <laughs> I'm sorry, you can't give it. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll make it easy for you. Do, do your head and your heart say the same result? So... If I was watching it purely on the last two weekends of rugby, I would say England are going to win, as I'm sure most people would. But the, the, like when I was a player, and I'm still in this mindset, and the same as New Zealand, if anyone said when I was playing New Zealand, can you win on the weekend? I think, well, what a stupid question. Yes. I'm not saying we're better than New Zealand. So in this in this situation with Wales and England, if you look, judge it purely on the Six Nations, England are better than Wales. But that's just fact from the last mm. two games. They've played better than Wales. Can Wales win? Absolutely, because it's sport. Like, of course you can win. So it's two completely different questions. Yeah, I can admit New Zealand are better than us because they've won World Cups. We haven't won World Cups. They've had amazing running streaks. We haven't had them. So yeah, they're better than us. But can we beat them? Absolutely. So even though I'm sort of in because I want Wales to win, can Wales win? Of course they can. They can easily win if they want to, but then so can England. So it's very much... I'm 55-45, and I'll be honest, in favour of England, which is why I think it might be like a two-point win for England. Mm. I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong, and Wales definitely can win. But if I'm going to judge it off the past two weekends and throw in a couple of other things into the mix, if I had to put my neck on the line, I'd say an England two-point win. And you're looking forward to the weekend because you've got other duties, but also you haven't got to stand out there, or would you part? You still like to be standing out there? Um, no, I can appreciate I've done that now. I, I don't. Yeah, I'm, yeah no, yeah. I'm, I'm really happy. I'm enjoying it as a player, uh, as a as a fan. I can appreciate I've done it as a player. I just really love the occasion as a fan now, and uh, I watch the game and I love it. 
but you know I, I still haven't forgotten what I felt like when I came around with my neck up and things like that so I don't want to put myself and like you know I saw the injury Ellis Jenkins went through against South Africa and that was the knee injury I used to really freak out about when I was in that jackal position so yeah, yeah now I'm just actually just living being a fan enjoying the occasion getting involved in all the hype and I can I appreciate I've done it and I'm fortunate I played England on 10 occasions I didn't realise it was that many played England on 10 occasions and been part of that 10 times which is 10 times more than 99.9% of people so I still feel very privileged so now I can enjoy it from this side of the fence now and uh, a lot more pain free a bit more coffee and chocolate and it's lovely <laughs> Sam Warburton thanks a million Sam cheers Steve thanks for having me and the Rucks back next Monday when we'll be chewing over the bones of the game to see if we got it all right or all wrong. <laughs>